The Fabulous 50s, Part 13, TV Part 3, Leave It to Beaver and Lassie, as well as some others. Now, equally unusual for a sitcom was the adaptation of the Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer Lassie stories. A star of the show was the farm dog as hero Lassie, a brave, loyal, and remarkably intelligent collie owned by young Jeff, his mother Ella, Jane Clayton, and his grandfather, George Cleland. The cast changes were rapid and confusing. Gramps died because the actor George Cleland actually did die. Lassie brings home an orphan boy named Timmy. Mother Ellen decides the farm life is too hard and moves with son Jess to the city, selling the farm to a childless couple, the Martins, who inherited both Timmy and Lassie. Audiences did not seem to mind the shuffling, which continued, nor did many child viewers realize that over the years many look-alike collies played the intrepid Lassie. Not only did the show's characters undergo cast reincarnation, the series itself originated in the 1940s best-selling novel Lassie Come Home, which became a 1943 movie with Roddy McDowell and Elizabeth Taylor then a series of popular movies, then a successful radio program, and finally made it to television, amplifying the kind of dogged perseverance characteristic of its canine star. Kids that season also enjoyed Soupy Sales Show, which premiered July the 4th, 1955, and of course the Mickey Mouse Club, which premiered October the 3rd, 1955, and my favorite, as well as Mickey Mouse Club, Captain Kangaroo premiered October the 3rd, 1955, starring Bob Keeshan as a gentle, kind-hearted captain whose trademark jacket had baggy pockets stuffed with many surprise goodies as Santa's satchel. It was a landmark and children's program running well into the 80s, making it the longest-running kids' show in TV history. Father Knows Best premiered October the 3rd, 1954. Jim, Margaret, and Betty, princess to her father, Bud and Kathy, called Kitten, and the Andersons, as millions of fans knew the idealized family that all Americans in the 50s wished was a model of their own, this was a sitcom unlike any before and few after. Never had a TV family or anyone else in real life been so tranquil. Never had the parents been so patiently loving, continually well-dressed, and, con- and totally understanding of their children's growing up problems. Never had a family had more perfect children than those who lived on 607 South Maple Street, Springfield, USA. The United States government felt the Andersons were so typical of the American family, as it wished families to be, that it oversaw the production of an episode as a half-an-hour commercial to promote U.S. savings bonds, which was not shown on TV but distributed to the nation's churches, schools, and civic organizations. The episode's message were, buy savings bonds. Try to get along like the Andersons, housewives, vacuum, and pearls. In fact, Margaret Anderson, Jane Wyatt, did all of her housework in a tasteful dress, high heels, button earrings, and a string of pearls. In one episode, when she's vacuuming, attired as mentioned, Jim, mail in hand, arrives home from his insurance job and asks with the slightest edge to his smooth baritone, Does anyone bring in the mail anymore? Margaret, who despite her impeccable appearance claims that she had a bad day, answered, Who has the time? None of this seemed incongruous to viewers in the 50s. In 1955, the show won an award for the constructive portrayal of American family life. The year was, after all, the do-it-for-the-kids decade, a family-oriented span of years in which Eisenhower was the country's president and Jim Anderson was its father. 
Original episodes ended in 1960, though not because of a drop in ratings. It was still in the top 10. It's because father, Robert Marcus Welby, M.D., Young, had tired of the role and wanted to move on to other things. What most viewers never knew was that its initial radio conception, the show's title, ended with the question mark. Father knows best? That is, punctuation as sarcasm, suggesting that Father Anderson was as confused about raising children as most American dads. The skillful acting of Robert Young, however, made it entirely believable that Jim Anderson really did know best. The question mark was dropped. In so doing, what might have been a sarcastic sitcom with a dense and confused father, typical of what was on the air then, became an American Gothic classic. Jim Anderson was television's first super dad. Reviewed the New York Times, Robert Young and Jane Wyatt have restored parental prestige to TV. The Honeymooners, October the 1st, 1955. Perhaps no other TV sitcom has produced such a fanatical, devoted set of fans or so many lines with such nostalgic impact. Ralph, Jackie Gleason, drove a bus through the grimy streets of New York. He and his wife Alice, Audrey Meadows, shared a two-room walk-up at 328 Chauncey Street in the Bensonhurst section of Brooklyn, in which the only pieces of furniture were a dinner table and chairs, a chest of drawers, and an icebox that continually broke down. Upstairs lived Ed Norton, Art Carney, who worked in the sewers, and his wife Trixie, Joyce Randolph. Ed loved Ralph and good-naturedly took endless abuse, but he also continually ribbed the Great One about his weight. Ed Norton, who saw himself as an underground engineer, adored his job and delighted in telling Ralph about the intricacies of New York's sewer system, which could take a person anywhere. Now, the origin of it, Jackie Gleason scored big on television in 1952 with a CBS comedy variety hour, The Jackie Gleason Show, performed live and from New York. His comedic sidekick was Art Carney, and the show featured June Taylor dancers and Ray, the flower of the musical world, Block's Orchestra. He created the unforgettable characters of The Poor Soul, Joe the Bartender, The Loudmouth, and Reggie Van Gleason II. But his most enduring creation, first seen in 1951 on Cavalcade of Stars, was Ralph Cramden in a comedy skit called The Honeymooners. I had this idea for a long time, Gleason later said. I knew of thousands of couples like these in Brooklyn. It was a loudmouth husband and a wife who is a hell of a lot smarter than her husband. My neighborhood was filled with them. The Hour Variety Show was a huge success and his taglines, and away we go, and how sweet it is, were repeated by fans across the country. But there also existed a special chemistry amongst the characters in the Honeymooner skits. And in 1955, the skit became a half-hour series and Jackie Gleason received one of the biggest contracts in television history, a $7 million deal. Gleason liked to keep rehearsals to a minimum. Quote, once our cameraman said he absolutely needed a rehearsal. End of quote, wrote the comedian. I told him, just have the damn camera follow me. What the hell am I going to do? Out the door? After 39 episodes of The Honeymooners had been filmed in in 55-56, Gleason refused to film the second year, which is why the series fans have only 39 shows to watch in reruns. He was offered another $7 million, but argued, quote, I said we couldn't come up with the same high quality of scripts that second year. It was that simple. Now, my family and I watched all of these shows, but the favorite was Leave it to Beaver, which premiered October the 4th, 1957. Ward, June, Wally, and Theodore Beaver Cleaver lived at 211 Pine Street, Mayfield, USA. 
Unlike Jim, Father Knows Best Anderson, Dad Ward, you Beaumont, did not know the best. In fact, the parental advice he gave some sons Wally, Tony Dow, and Beaver, Jerry Mathers, often backfired. Mother June, Barbara Billingsley, usually avoided dispensing wisdom, preferring to dish out milk and cookies. Unlike other sitcom kids, the older Wally and the younger, denser Beaver experience real-world problems and thorny growing-up uncertainties. What's more, as the boys are supposed to do, they delighted in tossing worn clothes on the floor and leaving bureau drawers open, and took a boy's pride in not wanting to take regular baths. And they openly despised homework. Like not quite Bart Simpson, they were TV's early underachievers. There was even a madness in Wally's pal, squirmy little Eddie Haskell, and his bullying of the beaver and stinging him with the slur squirt. In an era of idealized sitcom families, the Cleavers were a bit more realistic than their TV competitors. June Cleaver, however, like Margaret Anderson, a father knows best, did the housework in heels, pearls, and going shopping with makeup. Pearls were obligatory for a 50s sitcom mom. Even as the decade closed, Donna Reed and the Donna Reed Show, as yet another idealized mother, Donna Stone, would have been naked without a double strand. Still, Beaver fans like to point out in terms of realism, the sitcom was the first show to show a bathroom. The Cleavers were actually real people. The birth of the show lay in the desires of writers Bob Mosher and Joe Connolly, who had written over a thousand Amos and Andy radio and TV scripts, to create a sitcom centered not on parents, but on the kids and their neighborhood friends. Originally, it was titled Wally and Beaver, and emphasized the focus on its young characters. But the writers felt that might suggest to some viewers a story about a boy and his pet. The last minute they changed the title. The wide-eyed beaver was forever saying, Gee, Wally. And Wally liked to warn, Boy, beaver, you're going to get it. Eight-year-old Jerry Mathers, already a veteran actor in TV and movies, landed the role of the beaver after reading for the part he abruptly announced, I gotta go now, a Cub Scout meeting. Something the beaver would have blurted out. Polite to his elders, Beaver always answered with a yes sir or yes ma'am, and his prepubescent taste for the opposite sex was expressed in comments like, I'd rather look like a skunk than like a girl. Throughout its six-season run and 234 episodes, the show never placed in the annual top ten, though it was highly successful and acquired a passionate cult following. The last show was telecast on September the 12th, 1963. Now, this is, this is an interesting show from at least my standpoint. When I was a kid, I identified with Beaver to the point that there's one show where Beaver decides he runs, he's got to run away from home. And so he packs a little thing and ties it on a stick and starts to leave and goes about two blocks and changes his mind and comes back. Well, that, after that show was over, I went to my parents and I said, do all little boys have to run away from home? Because I really like it here. And I'm sure they nearly blew up from trying to hold back the laughter, but that's that was an interesting point. Then, when I had children, and they were growing up, you look at the old shows. We used to watch the old shows. We had them on DVD. You'd go and identify with the parents. So it was a really interesting show to see that dichotomy between touching the children and touching the parents. So that is the end of our television sojourn through the 50s. And there are a lot of shows that we never really get to talk about. Now, the sources for this, Panati's Parade of Fads, Follies, and Manias, 
The Origins of Her Most Cherished Obsessions by Charles Pernotti. So I hope you enjoyed that. And as always, don't forget to come by the website, summahistorica.com or historyaccordingtobob.com and ask a question, leave a comment, check out our merchandise. And if you like what we're doing, please feel free to support us. Thank you very much.